Welcome to the Run for PRs podcast. This is your host, Victoria Phillippe. The Run for PRs podcast was created to give away the secrets to transform your training to reach your goals. We ask all the expert run coaches and athletes the questions that you've been dying to know the answers to. We will get the inside scoop on what really makes you the best athlete that you can be. Have you ever seen a fast runner and wonder, wow, how did they get so fast? Well, then this podcast is for you. We are going to do a deep dive to reveal the secrets to reaching your potential as a runner. Immune suppression and your training. We are in the middle of a worldwide health pandemic. We all know that exercise has positive health benefits. Exercise can boost the immune system. But have you ever heard of immune suppression from exercising? Have you ever gotten sick from overtraining? We wanted to do a deep dive about how to avoid overtraining and immune suppression, but still be able to have fitness and work towards your goals and continue training during this time. Overtraining has a lot of negative side effects and immune suppression is often one of them. Today I have with me Jason Phillippe, who is a coach here at Run for PRs. He has over a decade of experience coaching runners and he has definitely worked with athletes who have had a history dipping into the overtraining um, well and we're just here to talk about this topic a little bit more because I think it's a little bit more prevalent in this time um, and we just wanted to kind of shed some light on you know what is you know good training and good for your immune system and maybe what is towing the line towards more of an overtraining load where your immune suppression may happen. Um, so Jason, what is overtraining exactly? And have you ever worked with someone who has fallen into the trap of overtraining? Yeah, I'm, it's hard to give a definition as to what overtraining is, but it's typically somebody who is running at a high volume or high intensity and over time. And so what, what that can lead to is a variety of different, um, you know, different symptoms or warning signs that we'll discuss today. But I have worked with a few athletes who um, have overtrained. I try to really, obviously, as I coach them, I, I don't set their training up where they're going to be overtraining. Um, I've been, you know, I've received some pushback from athletes wanting to do a little bit more. And so we do kind of um, toe the line and we, I, you know, I modify their training, make it a little harder. And I've seen a couple of them, you know, a few months down the road who it seems like they're not where they quite wanted to be. And I can't help but wonder if that's because we, you know, we just pushed the envelope a little bit too far. And so, I think, you know, like you said, this is a time where it's a very important that we're not overtraining. A lot of us are dealing with, you know, added stressors and it's it's just really important that, you know, running is more of a stress relief and we're not we're not uh getting extra stress from it. Um and we're allowing our body a chance to really recover and adapt to the training. So um, you know, whether it's, you know, added stress from work or having the kids at home, I know, you know, my training right now is definitely lower than what it was before COVID started and um, I can't imagine if I was trying to keep up the same mileage as, as I was when, you know, when we had, um, you know, we had daycare, for example, for our kid and we had just more work-life balance. Um, we were able to go out and right now it's, we're pretty much around the house all day. So, um, yeah, it's, it's something that, you know, I think that if you have a coach that can be a good way to prevent overtraining. So if you're someone who really does, uh, kind of ride the line and you like to run high mileage or whatever it is, maybe you do too many workouts, I would, I would um, encourage you to reach out, get a coach, get someone who's going to help you stay accountable 
and help you think practically about your training. Yeah, I think that's all really good advice. You know, working with a coach, you would typically think you're avoiding overtraining in that way. But I also would encourage anyone, you know, regardless of who your coach is to, you know, be in tune with your body and understand yourself as an individual. Um, you know, your coach may not be able to read your mind or be able to be into the cues that your body is giving you all the time. And, you know, even some coaches out there, they are more towards pushing the envelope all the time. And so it's just really important to, um, we're going to go over different topics and different things that would touch on, you know, towing the line of overtraining. Um, and I know Jason kind of shared that he had worked with some people who had overtrained in the past and just kind of respecting their privacy and not going into too much detail there, I guess, you know, sharing my own personal experience, um, uh, well, you know, a year and a half ago, I decided I wanted to try to train for a half Ironman. Um, prior to that, I spent the last seven years of my life as a distance runner. I consistently ran 40 to 50 miles a week. Um, that was what my body was used to doing. Um, that's about six hours of exercise per week. Um, my body was used to that and had adapted over the years, and I decided I want to make this switch to half Ironman training. And it's a lot different um, going from run training to, you know, the swimming and the biking. Um, and I hired a coach at that time. And looking at my background, she said, "All right, well, we can increase the load a lot quicker than we normally could with someone who's just starting triathlon training because you have such a great background." in running. And so the idea was somewhere along the lines of, you know, your body's going to adapt faster and doing biking and swimming is actually less intense, quote unquote, than running. Um, so we quickly, you know, I was running six hours a week. I was doing six hours of exercise. And then we, we transitioned into more of like nine hours of exercise. Granted, there was a lot more, um, biking and swimming, so it wasn't as intense. Um, but you know, for whatever reason, my body started, I got really sick. Um, so I got sick once a month later, I got sick again. Um, and these weren't just like little illnesses. It was chronic sinus infections that I had to go on antibiotics for. Um, and then it happened again. Um, and then the third time I actually got like really sick with, um, something where I, was like a stomach bug and ended up having to go to the ER for fluids because I couldn't keep anything down for several, um, for several days. But I guess the moral of the story for that was I, you know, in retrospect, it's really easy to see that my immune system was clearly being suppressed during that time. Um, and it's hard to look back and see, you know, I, I was making training mistakes, even though I was under the guidance of a coach. But again, um, I was feeling really tired. I was making changes to my training. And so I guess the idea here is that this isn't really like the time to make drastic changes to your training and that you're going to fall victim and be in a more vulnerable situation if you're making um, drastic changes to your training. Um, if you are to come in contact, you know, with something and your immune system is suppressed. So I'm not saying that increasing your training will lead to overtraining, but I am saying that if you are making changes to your training in the way that you're training, it can lead to overtraining. Um, and in my case, I was overtraining and that is what had led to the immune system suppression. And after talking to my doctors, um, that's pretty much kind of what we concluded at. And I played a role in that. Like I should have been more, um, open and honest with myself and the coach that I was working with about that. And it's just something to be aware of is that, you know, no one is, um, no one is 
immune from overtraining, right? Like we can all fall victim to it at some point, even if we know better, but especially during this time, just really being aware of what your stress levels are. So like Jason just talked about, you know, a lot of people are having to do, you know, the online schooling with their kids or there's no daycare and they're still juggling their full-time job. And a lot of the times that means um, when the kids go to bed, that means you stay up late and you're finishing your work projects or whatever it may be. Um, If you're getting the lack of sleep, if you're adding stress to your plate, it's going to have to compromise somewhere. So maybe you know, if you're someone who is more stressed out during these times, based on your lifestyle, maybe it is a time to cut back a little bit just to make sure you're not overwhelming yourself with stress. Um, but I also think, you know, just kind of sticking with what you have been doing um, and what your body's used to in terms of mileage and how many workouts and how long your long run is, is going to be really important. It's not the time to make drastic changes um, right now. So I guess in terms of going forward with you know, a lot of people wanting to train for fall races and obviously maintaining your fitness to some extent. How do you think that some people should approach um, training during this time and training, you know, for a fall race or, you know, just to maintain their fitness? What should people be doing? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is don't change, you know, too much. Don't do anything drastic. So, you know, don't increase your mileage by, you know, 20% or more and, and just build up slowly if you are trying to increase mileage or, um, you know, a lot of us are probably cutting down on mileage cause we're not training for a marathon, half marathon. So our, our weekly long run, you know, should be shorter. So we're probably kind of experimenting with more speed or more like, um, faster type workouts. So I think that that's still important that we don't squeeze too many of them together. Cause we want to allow the body time to, to, um, heal, especially, you know, our calf and Achilles, those get worked differently when we start doing speed sessions. So I think that it's important that we just, um, you know, do a workout that we feel like we could always finish doing maybe one or two more sets of, uh, or reps of like a 400 or 800 or whatever it is. Um, you never want to finish feeling completely gassed because that's going to take your body days to recover. Um, and then give yourself a few extra rest days. I know that, um, if you're not used to doing the speed work, you know, your body can definitely benefit from that. Um, your muscles are getting loaded differently, so, um, they're placing more fatigue on them. So it's, it's important that we're getting extra rest. We're also making sure our nutrition is in line because we need to make sure we're fueling properly and that our body's getting the proteins that we need to recover. Right. Yeah. I think those are all really good tips. And I think it's also important to understand, you know, your body is used to a certain level of training. And so just keeping that in mind, this isn't like a podcast to try to scare people and they're like, Oh, don't exercise. It's just more of let's be realistic with kind of what you're used to doing. And let's not, you know, now's not the time to like go above and beyond that. Right. So you kind of want to have your baseline of what you're used to doing and maybe like dropping down your mileage a little bit. If you are going to be ramping up your long runs, um, just being smart with how we're kind of playing our cards here because we we definitely don't want to overtrain and that's the biggest thing here so we're not saying like don't train obviously there's huge health benefits to training and exercise is so important especially during this time um, for physical health benefits and it does boost your immune system but when you start towing that line of that over overtraining and overreaching um, your body does kind of start to break down and maybe that's the form of an injury it could be also in the form of immune suppression and so that's why we're kind of talking about this um, so I guess the biggest thing people want to know right is overtraining how does it happen we've kind of already talked about that by doing too much but really like what are some signs of overtraining um that someone could look out for like maybe there's certain symptoms or just moods what does it feel like when you're overtrained 
Yeah. So basically the root cause of overtraining is going to be an increase, right? In either our training volume or intensity. Um, and that's going to lead to damage in either your, your muscular skeletal system, um, from the physical impact, or it can also send, you know, an increased chemical, um, you know, strains to our body, which basically, uh, produces inflammation. And so it's, it can damage our proteins and our mus- muscles on a cellular level. And so it's important that we, um, you know, give that, give our body a chance to, to rest and recover because that's a, it's a complete system, system-wide response that our body's going through. And so that can lead to overtraining. Um, and that can look like so many different things for people, um, extended muscle soreness after workouts, just slower, um, recovery or feeling completely recovered. I know some people, you know, it's crazy coaching a lot of athletes cause you get to hear about how quick people feel recovered after a certain workout. Um, and I always think of recovery as like two phases. One is like immediate recovery within like a day or two. And then maybe the, the next one is more delayed, like a week later, how do, how do this, how do they feel? And are their next few workouts? How are those going as well? So, um, I know recovery is huge learning about what your body can handle. Um, <clears throat> other signs would be like, if you're constantly feeling like you have heavy legs, um, or you're t- just tired and then that can result in more like losing motivation or other mental, um, you know, disadvantages too. We think about just, you know, laziness or lethargic feeling. Those are all kind of signs that you could be overtraining. Um, and then losing, yeah, losing that motivation or changes in your appetite as well. Right. Yeah. I think a lot of it, you know, you can get to that point where you're, you're always kind of feeling heavy legs or at the verge of an injury, or you're also kind of just not as motivated, or you might feel lethargic, like you said. And I think during this time, it's kind of hard to be like, yeah, you might feel lethargic and all that stuff. And I think, you know, naturally during this time of being quarantined, you're in your house. I think some people are feeling that way just because life is so different right now. But I think more so along the lines of, you know, if five out of the seven days that you have to go running, you just are dreading it. There's no like motivation. And sometimes even when you're done with your workout or your run, um, you feel just as bad as when you started or worse. That's usually like a sign of doing too much. Um, you definitely want, you know, runs to be feeling good afterwards. And so if you're, if you're listening to this and you're like, well, that kind of sounds like me, I don't really feel like doing my workouts. I feel worse after, you know, I, I feel lethargic, all those things. The biggest thing you can do right now um, would be taking a few days off. And then when you do kind of re-up into running again, I would just suggest, you know, dropping your entire weekly mileage down by, you know, maybe it's 50% and see how you feel doing that mileage Um, because our bodies are trying to tell us something. And if we do less, sometimes, you know, less is more. They always say that, you know, when it comes to, you know, makeup or whatever. Uh, But it's it's true with with running, um, less can sometimes be more. And I know personally, you know, years and years ago, I don't know, five years ago now, I really fell into that train of got to do my more mileage, got to run more because more is better. And I was in, I was in really good shape, but I thought, you know, increasing my mileage, that's the only way to do it. And so I got stuck in this. I have to run a certain amount of mileage or I'm going to either lose fitness or there isn't a point of training. Um, and it was really difficult because I think I did for a very long time tow the line of, um, borderline overtraining. And it's just, it's tough to be in that situation and to trust that backing off is actually going to be beneficial for you in the long run. So I guess the moral story here is just like, trust what we're saying. Like we've definitely been through it. Um, you know, I've been running for, 
I don't even know, like 12 years now. And I can definitely say that less is often more. Um, Just because you're not running as much doesn't mean that you can't make fitness gains. And oftentimes, um, if you are too close to that line of overtraining, you actually stop making physical gains because your body is under such a state of stress. And I think you used the word earlier of inflammation, which is huge. And, you know, you hear that all the time, but it's like if your body is dealing with too much inflammation, it cannot like physically process it all. It's not good to be in a constant state of chronic stress, inflammation. I mean, that's what you're doing to your body every single day. Um, The idea with running is that it would just be just enough stress every day to elicit a positive response. But when you start dipping into overstress, you know, like you talk about work, obviously you don't want work to be boring, right? So if you go to your job and it's so boring that you have nothing to do and it's not stressful at all, uh, that's not good, right? You're not going to learn. You're not going to grow. Just like if you go to a job where you are forced to work hundred dollars a week and it's just like super stressful and it's a really bad environment, that's too stressful. You want to find that happy medium where it's like, you know, you're feeling challenged, but you also feel like you can leave and go home at the end of the day. And that's kind of how you want to feel with your running. You want to feel like it's a little bit challenging, but you don't want it to feel like this overwhelming burden that, you know, is on your, your shoulders forever. Um, so it's just really important to have that balance. And especially during this time, I think it allows people a chance to really establish what is that for myself and how can I kind of come to terms with where I need to be and finding my mileage sweet spot and what works for my body. Um, And I think this allows a perfect opportunity for it because there is no race coming up. There is no training cycle that we have to be doing. I think this is giving everyone an opportunity to really assess kind of where they're at and make a plan for the future. So I guess You know, a lot of people listening are probably curious as to what they should do. How should they approach training, um, you know, for fall races, just going forward? How can they implement some things that would help them um, avoid this and just really find that sweet spot with their training where they're having the positive stress and the positive effects of exercise? Yeah, that's a good question. I think the biggest thing is staying motivated. So whatever you can do right now to find that motivation, whether that's, um, you know, it's tough to surround yourself with people in person, but maybe the online communities, maybe doing some virtual runs, just things that get get you excited, um, following, talking to other runners maybe. And then also as far as things you can do on your own, we really want you to stay consistent with your training. That's really what's going to, um, set, have break people apart. We're going to set those PRs later this fall or next year are the people that are going to stay consistent throughout all of this. And they're probably going to prevent themselves from be, from becoming burnt out. So they're not going to be the ones overtraining. Um, they're setting themselves up to have a strong foundation. So again, they're probably coming into the fall healthy and you can introduce a few workouts, but I wouldn't do too many. I would allow your body time to adjust and adapt to those workouts. Um, things you could do more on like a daily or weekly basis, just monitoring your resting heart rate, because that could be a good sign that, um, you're not overtraining. So if you're resting heart rate, if you notice that that's going up and that could be a sign that you're, you're working too hard. Um, the other thing is with it getting warmer in most parts of the country, um, you know, adjusting your paces, there are some good heat acclimation adjustment tools out there. Um, I just found one the other day, I came across a Google that just pace, um, while running in the heat. And it's great because it talks about humidity, heat, and then it gives you kind of a running, like a scale that you just look at. It's a table and a chart and it tells you how much you should really be slowing down, um, based on the pace you're going. So I think that that can be very useful because a lot of us, we really put pressure on ourselves to hit a certain pace. Um, because that's a pace we want to try to, you know, run our marathon at or whatever it is. And so we're stressing our body. And if it's warm out, 
we're stressing our body um, probably at a higher rate than we should be. And so it's important that we adjust the paces and we really look at that, um, especially those of you that are, you know, in Florida. I know Florida's got record heat um, this spring so far. So it's just really important that we're slowing down and not um, worrying so much about pace. I think that that's a good thing to go off of effort um, in your day-to-day runs. Right. That's all really good advice, especially the heat. It's not in the forefront of my mind at the moment because, you know, it's not super hot here yet, but, you know, a lot of the people who live in those warmer climates, it's super important to keep that in mind and using those um, pace change calculators and making sure, you know, if it's a super hot day, we're not overheating our system and we're making sure we're we're slowing down appropriately so we're not dipping into that overtraining well because like you said um you know it can be something that leads to overtraining because basically what's happening when it's hot and humid out um if you're running your workout you're supposed to hit like six minute pace that's that's really like a 540 pace you know depending on how hot it is so if you're hammering workouts 20 seconds per mile faster than you need to be um with that heat adjustment then you know that's that's dipping into that overtraining well so you just there's certain things you just have to be really careful about and you know they're, they're so small and so little um, that sometimes people tend to overlook them or they think they can get away with doing one or two of them, um, which is fine. You know, it just depends on how you want to approach your life. But, you know, we're just giving these tips because we've learned a lot over the years and it's just really valuable information for people to be able to make their own decisions and how they want to approach training. Um, I'm just kind of earing on the side of caution just because I don't want to get sick. I mean, regardless of what it is, I would rather be able to be healthy and maybe be a little bit undertrained than go into, you know, race day and just be like, oh my gosh, the verge of, you know, getting sick constantly. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm in PR, I'm in the best shape I can be. And sometimes, you know, we're a little bit more cautious in the training that we assign our athletes just because we, you know, we, we kind of have that philosophy that we would rather have people a little bit undertrained and feel really, really good and not get sick and all those things. Um, then, you know, toe that line and, and dive into, um, that deep end of perhaps overtraining, um, and this immune system suppression. So I guess, um, some things, you know, tactical things, the types of workouts specifically when it boils down to the details, what are, um, a list of some of the things that could maybe trigger, you know, a little bit more of a physical difficulty on your body and may take longer to recover from and may, um, B, you know, there could be a, a window of a couple of days where your immune system is a little bit taking a hit after doing some of these workouts. What would they look like? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, if you start doing speed and you do a hard speed session that's over, you know, 60 to 90 minutes and you're not really used to that. So let's say you do like 20 by 400 or something that can be that can take a toll on your body. Um, as far as distance goes, long runs over two hours or maybe even over 90 minutes if you're incorporating a lot of faster pace work. Um, a threshold or marathon pace, um, racing with, with, you know, not really recovering, even though it's a virtual race, you might've done, you should still treat your recovery as if it were a real race. Don't jump back out on the road a day or two later and, and try to hit another workout. So, um, and really just racing with, um, or doing anything with a lack of recovery. So it's a really important that if you introduce anything new, whether it's more speed or more, more distance, um, that you build in that extra recovery time. I think this is a great time to be kind of just experimenting or exploring maybe your weakness or something you haven't done before. So, you know, for a lot of like my college athletes, we talk about just focusing on maybe slowly building your mileage. And so we do that through a series of like two week builds. And then we offer a cutback and that sort of thing where they're not really doing 
much um, speed work. And then I know there's a lot of people out there who, you know, they're kind of new to running. They're really good at like the 5K, but their half marathon, marathon times aren't where they want to be yet. And so they're focusing, same thing, on kind of building that mileage and getting that aerobic strength. And then there's a lot of us out there right now who, you know, we couldn't do our marathon races that all got canceled. And so this is probably a good opportunity for us to shift our focus and do some more speed because we're not usually doing that. We're usually traveling, doing the longer races. So I think that, um, you know, if you can sort of capitalize on the time that's been given to you right now and focus on something else, when we go back to what our favorite is, you know, that that's really going to help benefit us. Yeah, I think those are really good to kind of point out and just kind of going over them again um, is the hard speed workouts that are going to be over 60 to 90 minutes in duration. So if you're doing any sort of workout, you know, let's say you're doing 90 minutes with, you know, 5, 10 miles at marathon pace, that's a very, very taxing workout. Um, Some people think it may not be, but it, it is. And so these are just things to be thinking about and understanding, like, if you do that workout, um definitely don't, you know, increase your, your weekly mileage the same, the same week. Like if this is a new workout, right? So it's all about balancing these stress variables and we've done a whole podcast on stress variables before. Um, and so, yeah, so the 60 to 90 minutes of, you know, speed workouts, any long runs over two hours. And I know when we got our CA certification several years ago, the biggest point when we were making the marathon training plan was just like, they hammered home, like you have to take a cutback week where one of your long runs uh, every single month is less than 90 minutes. And the reason being is because it's um, when your body dips into glycogen storages, that usually happens around 90 minutes to two hours, just depending on your body, depending on how hard, how hard you're going. Um, And when you start dipping into those glycogen storages, that's when your body can start really being like, whoa, this is a super stressful thing that's going on. And so it's really important after those runs to refuel, rehydrate, let your body know like this is okay. <laughs> we're, we're, we don't need to go into like, you know, panic mode. And sometimes, you know, dipping into those glycogen sources can cause um, a delay or a, uh, a hit to your immune system just because it is, you know, a more intensive uh, workout. And those are usually workouts that, again, happen between 90 minutes to two hours and higher. So maybe just being really considerate of how you're doing those, you know, maybe have a rest day before rest day after. Um, just don't do something where it's like, you know, speed workout, and then we're going to do the, <laughs> the 90 to two hour long run the next day. Um, because that's, that's really towing the line of, you know, how much can I stress my body? And we want to really go for it like less stress because, you know, if you elicit just enough stress, your body's going to make those adaptations. But if you pile too much on, it's going to lead to inflammation. It's going to cause um, other problems down the road potentially. So anytime you're doing a long run with marathon pace work, anything that's faster than easy, definitely more stressful on your body. Um, doing those races, even if they're virtual races, anytime you're pushing more than you know, 90% effort, that's going to take a really big hit. Um, and the longer the race, the the harder or the longer the recovery should be. Um, I've once heard, you know, you should take for every mile that you ran in a race, you should take like at least that many days of recovery. So if you're doing a 13.1, um, that means, you know, we're taking two weeks of recovery and that's going to look different for everyone. Um, but typically it's just easy efforts for two weeks. And the reason being is because it's hard on your body and your muscles are stressed and you need to have that time to recover. And when you don't recover in between, you're just increasing that stress and your body can only handle so much of it. 
Um, and then just doing anything with a lack of recovery. So anytime you're doing too many speed workouts within a week, too many long runs without a cutback week, um, these are all really important things to be looking at and kind of assessing. And everyone's going to be so different, so there's no like hard, dry-cut rules. It's just based on what have you been doing, what is your body used to, and let's kind of stick with that. Um, you can still build, obviously, like a progressive overload approach, but really being conscientious of not increasing too many of stress variables at once. So if you do want to increase your long run, um, maybe let's try to cut back a workout day, or maybe you're not doing a workout that week if you're going to add, you know, two miles on your long run this weekend. Um, it just depends on the athlete and kind of what your background's like. Um, so in terms of training for marathons, how do you think people should approach adding in that long run? Because I think the biggest thing that we're taking away here is some of those longer efforts, um, especially at a harder effort. How should people approach um, building up their long run if they potentially want to train for a marathon later this fall? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'm starting to, you know, we're getting to the point now where the the first marathons are going to be probably at the end of August or early September. So um, we're getting to that point where we're about to start a traditional marathon build up, you know, 16, 18, 20 weeks, whatever you're used to doing. So you want to, you want to have your long run already at 10 miles before you start um, a marathon build up traditionally. So I think if, as long as you're, you know, if you're more than that away from your marathon, let's say your marathon's not until October, November, just keep your long runs, you know, between eight and 10. There's no need to go much more than that. Not unless you're doing like a virtual half or something. But um, once you get around that time frame, um, you're about 16 weeks out from your marathon, then that's where you can start to slowly add mileage to your long run. You know, you can, you can build up to 12 right away and then, and then make sure you offer cutback. So it's kind of like whatever your, um, you're used to doing how many marathons you've ran, you know, everyone's different. I like to kind of do every other long run as a long run. And then my other one is kind of a cutback, but other people like to do two week builds or three week builds and then cut back. So, um, I don't think there's a need to, you know, be running 15 miles or anything like that. Like there's, as far as I know, there's no, no fall marathons until August 29th, I think, which is Fargo. So that's probably one of the first that got rescheduled. The rest are going to be in September. Boston's probably one of the first as well. Um, in the middle of September. So you're probably looking at starting um, your marathons build up in about mid-May, if, that, if I'm doing the math right, right around that time is about 16 weeks. So, um, you know, for these next couple of weeks, just trying to get eight to 10 in, and then you'll be ready to, for an 11, 12 right away. And then you can just build up from there. Yeah. And I mean, it's really hard to say because everyone's so different and everyone has different goals. And I think some people are just really unsure of what to do and that's okay too. So maybe you're listening to this and you're like, well, you know, I was thinking about doing a fall marathon or I'm signed up, but I just, I'm not sure that I would even want to go, even if they had it, you know, in my case, it's a little different because I'm obviously pregnant now, but you know, thinking of Boston coming up in, in uh, September, you know, just even thinking about that from where we are now, it, it can be something where people maybe aren't even feeling comfortable. Like they don't even want to go to Boston just with everything going on. Like, why would you want to expose yourself? Whatever it may be. Um, and I'm right there with you. Like, I don't think that I would really feel like super comfortable going to an environment where like you're potentially being exposed than doing, you know, an all out race effort or even just running 26.2 miles in general, um, you know, after being exposed or potentially getting exposed, uh, to anything and it just it makes people a little bit more hyper aware I think of like their health and is it worth it and so if you're someone who's feeling like you know regardless I I don't think I'm going to do a fall marathon or I'm going to wait and see how things are I think that's totally okay and I think you know approaching your long runs as capping it at 90 minutes you can still be in really really good shape 
and have, you know, like 80, 90 minute long runs. Um, and that's going to be a lot less taxing on your, you know, glycogen storages and all those things, easier recovery time, but you're in really good shape. And that really sets you up for success. Um, if, you know, things drastically do change and you're able to ramp up from there, you know, if you're at like a 10 mile long run, it's really easy to get into a marathon shape. Um, you're basically already in half marathon shape, just depending on, you know, what you're, what you're looking at to run. But I think you can stay in really good shape. And I think we shouldn't underestimate how good of shape you can stay in just being very consistent during this time. And so for me, I'm really focusing on the consistency piece more than anything. Um, and obviously being pregnant, like it's, it's a little different, but I think even if I wasn't, I would just really be focusing on consistently getting the mileage in. Um, and that would be like my one stress variable that I'm keeping constant is like the mileage. Um, cause that's really like the foundation of everything. If you can get in those aerobic easy miles, you're really going to be set up for pretty much being able to do anything once you feel comfortable or once races do open back up. Um, what do you think Jason? And I mean, you probably have a lot of athletes that are really excited about fall races or maybe some people that have just decided like to throw in the bag at this point. Um, kind of what I'm saying, like, I don't know if I would feel comfortable what, uh, what advice kind of are you giving to your athletes and, um, what advice do you have for people maybe listening and they're unsure of like what to do? Yeah. I'm, I mean, I've given different advice to different athletes. It really depends on their goals and kind of, you know, how their year has started so far and all that. But I think the big thing, like you said, the consistency is going to be the key. And right now, as long as you are, you know, running and doing kind of what you have been doing, um, you know, unless you haven't been doing much and obviously we want to start slowly building, but the more consistent you can be now, the better. And, um, when we think about getting to our ultimate, like, you know, training capacity, I think as long as you are just slowly adding kind of workouts here and there, you're building towards that. But if you're just, if you're just hammering it and doing too much, you're actually kind of decreasing what your ultimate, you know, training capacity could be. And so I think that it's important to just have that long-term goal kind of in, in the back of your mind, like whether it's this fall or next, maybe it's even next spring at this point. Um, what can you do now to build up over time? And, you know, I've been running basically my whole life and I I don't think I even really trained that hard when I ran my first marathon, but the reason it was a sub three was because I had such a good base under my belt after running in high school and college. And, you know, I only really did one 18 mile run and maybe a couple like 15, 16s. So, um, granted I still, it was still difficult for me, but the base training, the consistency was there over time, you know, weeks upon weeks, back to back 30 to 40 to 50 mile weeks over time. I think that that really was the, the key ingredient for me. And so just, just try to be consistent. You know, we, you're, we're, at a, we're at a time where we may lose motivation here and there, but it goes back to just making it part of your daily routine and figuring out your work-life balance so that, you know, if you just put in that hour every day, um, that's really going to pay off when we can start racing again. Right. I think that really brings up a good point. You know, sometimes I think people get so caught up in how many long runs they have to do and how many 20 milers they have to do. And in reality, uh, there's so many things that go into training that are more than that. And like we talked about earlier, how dipping into that glycogen storage when you go over 90 minutes um, or two hours, it it can be more stressful on your body. And like you were saying, you know, just the consistency of running, you know, mileage every single week, that is huge and it plays out in your favor. Um, You know, last year I was signed up for the Twin Cities 10K, which is during the Twin Cities Marathon weekend. Um, 
And leading up to that race, you know, the entire summer and fall, I had done two runs that were over 90 minutes. I did like a 17 and an 18 because I was toying with the idea of potentially doing a fall marathon, but I just, I never, you know, I didn't really do anything outside of those two runs. Kind of just decided it wasn't going to be in the cards for me because I didn't want to do a bunch of long runs. I, I did, you know, two random long runs, but that's pretty much it. Um, but then the day before the race, I was like, you know what? My 10K got canceled due to lightning, and so I just decided to sign up for the marathon instead. And I was like, I can just run this at, you know, moderate, the same pace I did on my long runs in, and boom, there you have it. And that was literally two long runs that were over 90 minutes, and I was able to run the marathon. I felt better than I had at any other time I ran that Twin Cities marathon um, because I wasn't overtrained and because, you know, I was taking more of like an easier approach and, and it ended up still being a course PR, Boston qualifier time, all that stuff and a negative split. So I think there's definitely benefits to doing less and, you know, they're not often talked about because the things that you see on social media or on Strava, it's like everyone is doing all these twenties, everyone's doing all these long runs, but in reality, it's just, you know, if you can be consistent with yourself week after week, um, month after month, that's going to pay off big time. And, you know, sometimes those showy workouts or those super big long runs, they're not as um, critical as you may think. Um, because the biggest thing is going to come down to your consistency over time. So just keeping those things in mind and understanding that, you know, just like I only had a couple of <laughs> runs over 90 minutes leading up to that marathon, um, you still have time to make your decision. And, you know, if you decide later in the year that you you feel like you can do uh, a marathon and you feel comfortable doing that, you have time to train. So it's just really important during this time to maintain some level of consistency and just setting yourself into a new routine, finding a sweet spot that works for you. Um, and just, you know, focusing on yourself and what you can do for yourself every day. Cause I think this is a really stressful time for a lot of people. Um, a lot of your routines have been shifted and changed and we're, you know, a couple weeks into this already where, you can start establishing a new routine and, and figuring out what works for you um, and just making sure you're not being too hard on yourself. Um, I guess do you have any last minute things to share or advice that you can give anyone who's listening? I was actually going to kind of say what you just said, basically about, you know, if you have a bad a week here and there or whatever, a hiccup, don't let that totally derail you. Um, try to get back on track. You know, each week is a new week and each day is a new day. So it doesn't matter if you had to take three or four days off in a row. Um, and, you know, maybe, maybe you're part of your new schedule, your new routine is maybe you're running a little bit less as far as the days per week, but you're still staying consistent. And as long as you can stay consistent, um, I think that you're going to feel satisfied. And that's really the thing is, is meeting kind of the goals that we set for ourselves right now during this time. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Just, you know, setting goals for yourself and just focusing on what you can do every day, every week for yourself. And something I like to do is every week, you know, start fresh and say to yourself, okay, what are my goals for this week in terms of mileage consistency? Like, what do I think is realistic? And, you know, sometimes we have like these pie in the sky goals where, you know, they maybe aren't super realistic, but maybe just kind of bringing it down to like, what is realistic? Like, what do I really want to accomplish this week? And maybe that's four days a week running. And then you write out like how, okay, how many, what's the weekly mileage that's associated with that? Like I want to do a seven mile run. I want to do a five mile run, a 10 mile run, and then like another five mile run. Um, and then just figuring out like, what is that weekly mileage? 
And how can I get to that end goal um, and stay motivated and just taking it week by week, day by day as you wake up, you know, maybe it's it's just not your day, um, but then you have an opportunity the next day to chase those goals and to get back on the horse and don't ever beat yourself up if, you know, one day, one week, whatever falls off track, you can still, you know, adjust your goals as you go. Nothing is set in stone. Um, so it's just really important to understand we're kind of all going through that right now and everyone's all making adjustments, but that's okay. And that's normal. And you can still really be successful as an athlete, um, making those adjustments. So I guess if anyone out there is kind of struggling with motivation or just looking for some sort of structure or just wants to talk to someone outside of the people in their family, um, you can you know head over to our website, www.runforprs.co, and we can get you set up for a free seven-day trial working with one of our coaches here at Run for PRs. And it's just really fun to have someone else kind of in your running life to help motivate you and push you along the way and figure out the best training plan that's going to yield the most successful for you and everything's super personal. Um, all of our coaches are very experienced and it's a lot of unlimited communication and everything is already online. So you don't have to worry about um, in-person stuff. So yeah, visit our website, www.runforprs.co and we can get you set up today.